Hey, it's Chad from the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire here to welcome you into a special presentation of the Triple Threat podcast with the franchise Shane Douglas. This podcast used to be on our iTunes feed, but has moved over to Vince Russo's The Brand, where we've expanded the show to incorporate a video aspect as well. So if you've missed the Triple Threat podcast dropping into your iTunes feed, well, guess what? Here's a special little present from us so you can get a taste of what's going on at The Brand right now if you head on over to russosbrand.com you can get the triple threat podcast every single week in video form you can see myself jp john paz and shane in all of our glory as we break it down the way we always do with the franchise talking about some of the uh, hot topics in the wrestling business as well as some of the finer points of the franchise's illustrious wrestling career so i hope everybody's either come over and listened to us on the brand or was uh, hoping for a nice little return here we might do this every so often and drop you an episode on iTunes, uh, on Podomatic, on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, and all the places you get these podcasts of the Triple Threat, because this was a show that I think a lot of people did really relate to, and a lot of people understood and really enjoyed. So we hope that if you haven't come over with us uh, to the Russo brand, that you're going to get a piece of what you were looking for right now. So want to also thank everybody who has downloaded the brand new podcast, Eyes Up Here, featuring the Queen of Extreme, Francine. That is her podcast. We're doing a completely different style of show where we're incorporating some more uh, personal aspects of the Queen of Extremes life. She gives you a little peek inside her world as well as tells you a lot of great stories about what happened in her career. And you never know who's going to pop up on Eyes Up Here, as was the case in our debut episode with The Sandman, giving a little cameo to the uh, TMPT empire and the TMPT fan base. So uh, really want to thank everybody for everything that you've been a part of so far and uh, enjoy this upcoming episode of the Triple Threat Podcast. This was episode number 96 going back a couple of months. Some uh, good stuff talked about here. So uh, strap in, enjoy, and we will catch you the next time. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise. And he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas. And you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Let's get it going right here, right now. This is the Triple Threat Podcast, 
and you're listening to episode number 96 of the Triple Threat Podcast. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. But on this show, we are joined by the man from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was busy here. I, I didn't realize I was on the air already. Dude, see, now everybody's going to know what I was doing all that time I was talking on the line and now they can see me on the line but just kidding folks i wasn't picking that big booger in my nose <laughs> well see that's the beauty of this shane i could only see that you were p- picking the big booger in your nose as i'm trying to do an introduction so when you start talking that's when the camera will switch so beautiful let me, let me do you justice and properly introduce you from pittsburgh pennsylvania the one and only franchise shane douglas shane welcome into episode 96 finally getting this video shit figured out yeah i mean it's 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 coming to you from the bowels of the franchise man cave uh last week i was set up and ready to go i had the living room all cleaned up just being a bachelor pad (laughs) not so cleaned up anymore been a been a few things that have happened in the living room in the last week so we're coming from the bowels of the franchise man cave tonight Hey, that's fine, and I'll take it. So for those who may have not enjoyed last week's episode, Shane, where I did (laughs) Frankenstein the shit out of it by linking our (laughs) audio to my video, looking straight ahead at myself for an hour, uh, we are here finally, the three of us. So let's also introduce here on video for the very first time, you've heard his melodic tones for 96 episodes and 400 on the two-man power trip, the one and only JP, John Paz. John, welcome to episode number 96. Hey, yo. Hey, as I infamously say, you know, because it's Shane's mortal enemy, Scott Hall, but hey, yo, what's going on? <laughs> there he is, JP, live and living color. Yes. <laughs> now, listen, this is going to be obviously a little bit of a work in progress, too, because we're just getting it figured out. OK, so this is the first time we're able to kind of do this and go with it. So we're going to try the best we can to not fuck it up. And we're not going to try to lose uh, the franchise or lose John or <laughs> lose some kind of connection. So we'll get right into it. Uh, Shane, it was a uh, it was a hell of a week. We had a great episode last week. John was uh, taking care of some two man power trip of wrestling business, as we like to say. Uh, And the topic we wanted to cover in the second half of that show, we didn't even get to, you and I. uh, And I know John's really going to dig into it big time. Um, But as we're kind of going through things today, John hits me up and says, you know, uh, I don't know if this made the sheets or not. But uh, and that's our sheets, not the dirt sheets. It's already in the (laughs) dirt sheets. But Raw and the 1.5 rating that it had this week. We're going to get to it here in just one second. But as we were recording last week's episode... The I think the catalyst for a lot of the backlash that kind of was experienced in this past week was that Saudi Arabia show, which was a f- like four hour, <laughs> four hour piece of garbage. Wow! That led to a one point five rating for Monday Night Raw, main evented by Seth Rollins versus Kevin Owens with Sami Zayn as a special guest referee. A one point five rating. Yeah. Who'd have ever believed that 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, hell a year ago, who would have believed the 1.5 out of the WWE? It's astounding. And look, I newsflash for everybody. You're you guys, way too quickly. <laughs> so, all right. So you were saying, uh, who would have thought 20 years ago, 
Well, yeah, I mean, who would have believed that, that, that the ratings would be this low ever for the WWE? And here's the newsflash for everybody. Ain't going to turn around anytime soon. Ain't going to change anytime soon. The trend is going to continue. They'll get a 1-4, a 1-2, a point nine. That when it, when it cracks under the one point, that's when I think you're going to hear like the ethereal sounds of Gabriel's horns and stuff blowing in the air because the show is crap. And now they have the undesirable position of having lost the, the few, a few of the major names they've had. And then somebody tried to explain to me the booking decisions that they made in the Saudi Arabia show. I, it's, are they just throwing shit against the wall? Uh, is it just, Hey, let's see if that works or whatever. Cause none of that made any sense at all to me, but hey, I've only been in the business for 39 years. What the hell would I know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great call. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of mind boggling that they could go so low and that show itself. I mean, look, we know the Saudis are booking the show. We know the Saudis want who they want on the shows. I mean, my God, they suggested Yoko Zuna for the last show. <laughs> 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 they they wanted Yokozuna, you know, the Ultimate Warrior. They wanted all the greats. They ended up getting Hulk Hogan for the last one, but obviously, probably not, you know, main eventing the way uh, they had hoped. But uh, you know, we'll talk about Goldberg and Undertaker here in a bit. But to stay with that 1.5 Raw rating, yeah, you know, where do we where do we begin? I mean, we talked about the bad creative with John Moxley. But now, does it really does it kind of rub off on the guys too? I mean, I don't know what to say. One point five means that nobody wants to watch, and you could throw anything you want under the bus the the playoffs of the NBA, you know, whatever show could be on. It's June. Well, what, what's really on TV? There's really no excuses you can make here because I think people are just tired of watching the same old crap. Well, and especially now we're in the in the uh, the the, the post. Hayes post honeymoon phase, if you will, of the AEW's big event, uh, double or nothing in, in Las Vegas. The fans are now aware that there's a second competitive company, and they now know that there is, for the first time and God knows what, since 2000, 2001, a viable alternative to the stuff that they've been getting. So, for anybody in the WWE, Vince McMahon included, that thinks that they're watching because it's just that good. Now you're beginning to see that they're watching because there ain't nothing else. And now there is something else. You're seeing a precipitous drop. Don't be surprised if that drop I just portended a few minutes ago picks up speed. If it doesn't drop to one three one two one point nine very quickly, especially as we see the launch of AEW on TNT. The, folks, whether you like to believe it or not, the war is back. And we got us a game finally. <laughs> now I'm going to pitch this one to John here. And the best was that, you know, a hair of a second ago, his cat was walking by the screen. Actually, when we go to him, the cat's probably still going to be in the frame. But John, you know, we've <laughs> talked about it many times with Shane, you know, 1995 being the dead era. They say the new generation era was a dead era for professional wrestling. I think the differ. You put any of those 1995 shows on a Monday night. I think they'd pull a lot more than a 1.5. <laughs> Yeah, and you, you, obviously the cat still walking this way. But um, <laughs> talk about creative. Yeah, creative kind of sucked back then too. And I know you had some crazy Bruce Pritchard ideas and Vince and his zaniness. You know, booking guys like Dean Douglas for Christ's sake. But still, <laughs> you know, then you still had the Bret Hart's of the world. You still had uh, Scott Hall and Nash, and my, you still had these talent guys. Today, who is the guy? I mean, you got Rollins. You're pushing as a top guy. You got Reigns. 
But who else? Owens in the main event, I'm not buying it. Ziggler in the main event, I'm not buying it. No offense to Corbin. I know he's a big guy with a good look, and he's pretty good on the mic, but I'm not buying him as a main eventer quite yet. It's creative, but it's also, are these guys larger than life? Are these guys able to be main eventers? And franchise, I don't know. I don't know if these guys are quite ready to be in that spot that they're trying to put them in. Well, look, simply put, this is no dig at anybody. Main event position isn't because I say you're main event position. Main event position is when the fans have pushed you into that level, when the company has positioned you and built you to that level, not just, well, hey, we have an opening in the main event slot, so let's just throw in Wrestler X. Uh, it's unfair for any of these kids that they've been doing that to to put into that position. Uh, and it is vastly different than just being a guy on the undercard. Trust me when I tell you that. Uh, the, the pressure is there. And I think the biggest part, especially for a company like WWE that has been so uh, fan-focused, uh, has been that the fans haven't yet. I mean, when, you know, in Hulkamania, back in the day, when Hulk would, would put that hand, cup his hand to his ear, you'd see that crowd go crazy. Before that, when Bruno would, would you know, do his deal, the crowd go crazy. Uh, after that, when, you know, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Undertaker, fill in the blank would do that, the crowd would go crazy because they had earned their way into that main event spot. It wasn't just, hey, you know, here's Joe Blow and we're putting him in the main event spot. Uh, but again, again, I've talked about this for how long on this show. They're in a very unenviable position now because you've seen the likes of, uh, the Moxleys and, and others have departed the company. The ones that are still there uh, have either been pushed to the background uh, because of injury, uh, because of uh, uh, sickness and, and, and Roman Reigns case. Uh, you know, so now suddenly you're, you're in, again, the very unenviable position of having to fill a main event uh, with guys that you haven't, as Steve Austin used to say so eloquently, if Vince McMahon wants to get you over, he'll strap that rocket to your ass. Tell me who on their card right now, Vince McMahon has strapped a rocket to their ass uh, that is prepared for that main event spot. And, and that's why I say they ain't reading tea leaves or looking at the crystal ball. It's just looking at the facts as they stand. They don't have people ready for that main event spot, let alone to fill out the rest of the card on a three-hour show. Exactly, which is why we uh, have on the top of our run sheet the Goldberg versus Undertaker match from the Saudi Arabia show being the main event, being panned only because there was a lot of uh, miscues, there was a lot of uh, issues that went on with the actual match, uh, whether it was too much time allotted for the match for guys, you know, obviously in their position, maybe they shouldn't have gone as long as they did, but also Goldberg concussing himself and, uh, and knocking himself silly you know, also led to a lot of miscues and some blunders of two guys that I don't think anybody on planet Earth would na- say anything bad about them in terms of their no. <laughs> their place in the uh, the pantheon of professional wrestling. But here we are coming off a main event where two of these legends had not their best night, saw one of the worst nights in the history of the ratings books for uh, for the WWE. You think there's a correlation? Uh, absolutely, there's a correlation. I mean, look, you know, in I love Bill and, and Mark both great guys. Uh, you know, I count them as friends, uh, but to put them in a position, I don't care what the, the, the people in Saudi Arabia have requested or asked for or demanded. Uh, it's your job to say, look, you know, 
these guys aren't in the position to do that. I mean, you know, Mark has been, you know, retired now for how long? And, you know, towards the end of, you know, before he announced his retirement, was beginning to look, you know, a little bit frayed around the edges as it was. And Bill, who's still in phenomenal shape, and, and Mark looks to be in great shape. But I can tell you, you know, doing what you did in 1990, 91, 92, 2000 is vastly different from what you can do in 2019. And I think it was unfair for them to put those guys in that position. Uh, you know, we all want to remember Babe Ruth pointing the, the bat to the outfield and, and smacking the home run. You don't want to see Babe Ruth striking out or, you know, batting 200. Uh, you don't want to see, you know, Franco Harris, like at the, when he played for Seattle at the end of his career, running for, you know, 12 yards in a game. Uh, you want to remember them at their best. And, and so it was, again, unfair. But, I, again, I don't know where you could say, you know, we can place plenty of blame here. But what else does Vince have to, to fall back on? Uh, you know, from my, from my understanding was there were several guys who uh, refused to go to Saudi Arabia because of the situation in the Middle East right now. Uh, so when you're left with a list of X number of names, you have X number of names to pick from. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to take whoever I want from my, from my logbook, uh, from my roster, my dressing room from the last 20 years. Uh, I, I think that, you know, Vince McMahon in this case did himself a disservice. The reason you'd have to, you know, again, question yourself, but was it just the case of him hey, to take the money and just throw whatever I can to them? Uh, why would the boss of the company, you know, somebody as imposing as Vince McMahon not say, Hey, look, I, these guys are not going to be able to provide the kind of match that we should give Saudi Arabia on our second big event there. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a responsibility that goes with that as well and seems to be lacking right now. But, you know, what you saw there, I think, is just uh, indicative of what we're seeing back here uh, on a corporate side, you know, on a product side. The guys they've tried to push on and off, on and off, never consistently, uh aren't quite ready for that main event spot because again, they, they haven't built into this, but this is no slam toward any of the kids. If, if you've been on TV and off TV, on TV and off TV, and now suddenly they're saying, okay, you should be the main event guy. Uh, totally unfair. Nobody in the history of our business has ever been able to do it that way. Uh, you know, so what we're seeing in Saudi Arabia and the ratings we're seeing back here, you know, it's like when you go to your daughter's office, right. And they put the, temperature under you know the, the thermometer under your tongue and take your pulse and listen to your heart they're taking your vitals right now the vitals don't look too good for the wwe <laughs> no 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 they don't now i'll tell you this the match itself if you really isolated it for the first couple of minutes was epic you know you get the entrances you get sure. the stare down you know and then to me it should have been uh <laughs> Spear, jackhammer, kick out, tombstone, choke slam, let's go home. That's the end of it. <laughs> but now, John, I, I kind of want to throw it your way. You know, you got to see the match. You kind of got to see what they had to uh, to offer. You know, what would you have done in terms of what you wanted to see as a fan and uh, what should have maybe been booked for those two guys? You know what? Uh, and I know everybody's ripping it and they're taking 
parts of the match and they're putting it online, the botches, if, if you will. And they're kind of really pumping it up like the whole match was terrible. It really isn't as bad as, as people said. I know it's not good either, but it's really not that bad. I mean, like you're right. The entrances were great. Everything was setting up perfectly. The beginning of the match is actually really good. And obviously the crowd is really into it and probably should have kept it pretty short. And I felt like it should have been shorter than what it was. I mean, that is for sure. But it wasn't as terrible. But then obviously Goldberg hits himself in the turnbuckle, misses the spear, concussed himself, uh, starts bleeding like crazy, which kind of added to it a little bit. But you could tell he was a little off. Then uh, Undertaker literally drops him on his head with a tombstone, <laughs> which, you know, it's a botch, yes. But to be honest, if it's that physical a match with those two big of a guys, it actually didn't come off that bad. Then when Goldberg does the jackhammer and almost drops Taker on his head, honestly, it, it was kind of in slow motion, so it wasn't as big as an effect as people made it out to be. Like, oh, he killed him. It, was, it wasn't as bad. And then, obviously, the finish at the end where Goldberg was going to put him up in the tombstone, then Undertaker was going to reverse it and then give him the tombstone. That thing, that was terrible, and that got screwed up. But you got to keep in mind, 100 degrees out, Saudi Arabia, Taker's 54, Goldberg's 52. You know the match should have been shorter, so I, I almost don't blame those two legends and icons of the business for that happening. I almost want to blame Vince or whoever, the agent, whoever kind of put the match together. Guys, let's not make it 15 minutes. Let's kind of make it five, six minutes, maybe tops, and you can get all those spots in, and maybe Goldberg doesn't concuss himself, and maybe they don't gas out, <laughs> and maybe they don't go for some crazy spot where Goldberg, who hasn't wrestled in years, tries to put Undertaker up for a tombstone when he can't, you know, he, there's no way he's pulling that off. So to me, Yes, bad match, but not as bad as you're making it out to be. I almost want to blame the people backstage more than, than Goldberg and Undertaker. Well, when, when you've got a great analysis, by the way, but when you've got two guys of the iconic levels of an Undertaker and Bill Goldberg, you've already got the, the, the security built into the match. You know, so whoever's brilliant Einstein idea was to have these guys go any length of time, like you said, the entrances in themselves, the WWE fans have grown accustomed to – the entrance, the pyro, that kind of stuff. Uh, when you've got guys that age, I don't think even fans in Saudi Arabia that may not. I don't know. You know, I don't want to say they're not well acquainted. I, I can't believe in this day and age of social medias and the internet that they're not as up on everything as we are. You know, so that they would want again, like you mentioned, in the heat, the the, the traveling over there and everything else. Would the fans in Saudi Arabia have been? irate if they got a five or seven minute great match from these guys as opposed to an attempt to take it longer and greatly increasing the opportunities that something can go wrong and now we saw it did go wrong uh you know hindsight's always 2020 and i don't want to sit here and play like hey none of us can make a mistake but on like i've said before when you look at the rundown on these monday night raws uh and and the, and the smackdowns and now you look at that on paper if you gave me a piece of paper a week before they went to the ring and I looked at that paper and you, I, the first thing I would have said is you have these guys going that long. Why? They're, they're, you, you give them their entrances that are epic. Give them the pyro, give them the stuff that they remember Bill Goldberg and undertaker for and leave it at that. They would have popped a lid off that place and nobody would have these criticisms right now. Um, but again, hindsight 2020, but still on paper, Somebody is account should be held accountable for this. The question is, who was it? The agent was it Vince? Uh, 
uh, you know, I, from my understanding, it's not too wise to like maybe criticize uh, the, the uh, crown prince over there too much. So you, you <laughs> might you, you, you might want to leave the heat on Vince or one of the agents. <laughs> now, if this was Paul Heyman booking it, and you know how he always kind of accentuated the, the positives of the guy and kind of hid the negatives and you know that kind of thing. What do you think Heyman would have done? Just kept it short and sweet? Like, how would Heyman have booked it? Well, the, the thing, Paul's brilliance was twofold. Uh, like I've said before, Paul never micromanaged. Paul never gave us direct, go out and do A, B, C, and D, and then E, and take it home. Paul was never that that kind of guy. And that's what I personally, as a performer, loved about working for him. He left that to me and my opponent uh, to come up with. The second thing that Paul was brilliant at was Paul knew how to conceal weaknesses. Uh, in 1972, Don Schull had the, uh, the no-name defense, the, unde- the only undefeated team uh, in NFL history, right? So uh, the reason he was able to do that with the no-name defense was he built both the offense and the defense to conceal the weaknesses of each team. And, you know, so in other words, if you had a running back that was slow around the corner, you didn't run offensive plays around the corner. Uh, Bob Greasy was not a great long uh, ball passer, so you don't have long routes on your receivers. Uh, if you, in Paul Heyman's case in ECW, if you have somebody that's not so good on the mic, then you put somebody like Fonzie with Sabu. If you have somebody that is good on the mic, like me, you let them go and, and do what they do. Uh, so, again, your, your job, as whether it's booking a wrestling show, running a company, is to conceal, uh, cover up, push back your company's weaknesses or your employees' weaknesses and augment their strengths. What are the strengths for Bill Goldberg and the Undertaker? The entrance, the spear, the tombstone, uh, uh, you know, those things. Not, I don't think any of them were ever remembered for 30, 40, 50-minute epics, you know, so, and nor should they have been. They were, they were iconic wrestlers for what they were, for what their characters brought to the table. And that somehow you're trying to turn that into, for all the reasons we cited earlier, trying to turn that into, let's make these guys be the main event that puts the time in and does all that in this 100 degree, you know, 120 degree heat. Uh, On paper, my 13-year-old son could have told you that was going to be a debacle. (laughs) You know, I got to tell you, though, so I was disappointed with the fan backlash and kind of some of the comments that fans were saying about both guys, you know, they're saying they're old and this and that. And I don't know if it's just hard to yeah. believe or it's hard Disrespectful. to grasp. Yeah. I don't, I don't appreciate that. And that's kind of why, like I've checked out of the current landscape of wrestling fans. Cause it just doesn't sync up to kind of those traditions that were instilled in, in us growing up, you know, to honor these guys. And, you know, the, the way they booked the undertaker, uh, maybe it was last year, the year before where he faced John Cena at WrestleMania. And it was like a 90 second match. I don't know why they didn't just drop the match like three places down the card, do the 90-second match, let everybody just see The Undertaker, see Goldberg, and move the Triple H versus Randy Orton match, which did get high acclaim on the show only because there really wasn't much else to give high acclaim, why they didn't just put that in the main event. And I don't know, did they think maybe, you know, Triple H being in the main event, you know, is that like, uh, you know, the nepotism uh, shining through that never stopped them before. So I just don't know why they didn't do that, especially if those guys ended up having a good match. Well, exactly. I I mean, you know, again, 
like everything I just said, I, it just resonated in my head and ringing around and then like a bell because there's a lot of space open in there now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you, yeah, you've got two of the most iconic names, not just in the last decade, the last quarter century, in the history of professional wrestling. You've already got a built-in win. Why, why wash that away with attempting to, to push something else? Now, you know, here, here's a crazy wild pitch from left field. You know, is it possible that Bill and Mark requested that extra time? Is it possible that they said, hey, we want to go out? And I, I, I don't know, because on paper, just looking at this again, for that match to have been looked at as anything other than a entrance, quick, you know, a few spots, bam, 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 hit it out, let the cr- place go crazy. For anybody to have considered it anything other than that, uh tells me that <laughs> somebody was a moron if, if that was the case. If this wasn't something that Bill and Mark specifically requested, which, let's face it, with their histories and, and being who they are, they certainly would have been able to do that. Vince, say, had a five-minute match planned, and they went and said, hey, we want more. Uh, I'm sure Vince would have said, no problem. So th- there is that possibility. I, I haven't heard any of the backstage stories yet, but uh, – if this was something that was directed from the top, whether from an agent, from a booking committee, from a writer, or from Vince himself, then shame on them. And, and they deserve the ratings that they're getting, if that's the case. Now, there's been some misinformation that's been kind of bantied about, about what happened after the match. Uh, there's been video that Goldberg uh, collapsed after leaving the ring. There's been claims that there were shouting matches going on between Undertaker and Goldberg. Uh, Undertaker clearly not happy <laughs> after the, uh, the the three count. Uh, but, John, you know, you were telling me earlier today about some of the misinformation that's out there. So I don't know if you want to smarten Shane up to it a little bit. And, you know, people still try to make a story out of everything. But <laughs> in this case, we had video proof that Goldberg, just he ate the mat once he stepped out of the ring. Yeah, there was a lot of internet speculation and, quite frankly, lies and stuff that just completely made up. I guess it's just like, oh, the person or the couple of people, a couple of reporters, and I guess, quote-unquote, dirt sheet writers or you know, whatever they are supposed to be, they claim that Goldberg and Undertaker got in a shouting match afterwards behind the scenes because they saw Undertaker was pissed in the ring. They, so, you know, they decided to make it up. Well, it's impossible to have a shouting match when Goldberg collapses and, and it's getting medical attention, and supposedly Undertaker is getting medical attention as well. So I just thought it was funny, like, oh, uh, you know, the, uh, these guys are just making it up online that they're having a war, war of words, yet clearly Goldberg was escorted out of, of the ring by medical staff and was brought back and, and dealt with with the medical staff. So people are just making up just you know, just for shits and giggles that Undertaker and, and Goldberg were arguing after the match uh, backstage, even though that's obviously not true. Well, is there, again, I, I, you know, I haven't been, didn't get a chance to get online much. I spent some time with the kids today. Uh, but if there's video footage of something, look, if somebody was taken from the ring, and again, like, you know, now we play into this game of like what, you know, when you, you know, work too much or whatever. So, you know, Goldberg being taken from the ring, was that a shoot? Was it part of the angle, part of the work? Uh, that's the part of our business that you don't know when you have such a high-profile match. Excuse me. When you have such a high-profile match as this in such a high-profile show as Saudi Arabia, uh, you know people are going to take looks at that. But 
you know, look, I, I mean, for anybody, let's just assume that everything that we know that you've just said and that we that we're aware of is accurate. Then, you know, for anybody to sit there and criticize uh, what you know the guys did in the ring as far as you know having their bell rung, whatever, uh, you know, like like Chad said a few minutes ago. Let's at least proffer up to these guys the respect that they're due uh, as being, you know, some of the biggest draws in wrestling history. Uh, people that have entertained us all immensely over the decades. Uh, you know, I can sit and watch Ben Roethlisberger have a great game or a crappy game uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers in any given week. I don't think many people really care whether Shane Douglas thinks it was a great match or a bad match by uh by under or by Ben Roethlisberger because I've never played in the NFL uh you know the guy's got what two rings and you know et cetera et cetera so you know and it, this is like and, and I've long talked about this the problem with the internet in my humble opinion is that it, it it's one thing to give everybody a voice it's another to give everybody a voice that they think is now the signature voice so everybody shut up and listen to me because I'm the authority and I think that this match was great or I think it sucked. I think this wrestler was great or he or she sucked. Uh, let's leave that in the hands of the professionals with all due respect. Um, <laughs> you know, and, you know, it's look, if, if so, and I'm not trying to be condescending to any fan out there that has an opinion, but when you've been in a match and in that position, and, and I can only imagine how ungodly hot it must have been in in Saudi Arabia, uh, and you've then had your bell rung. You know, neither Bill, I can tell you one thing about Bill and Mark both, neither one of them went to that ring and said, hey, let's go to the ring and shit the bed. You know, they're both very proud of their careers and prideful of what they do for the fans. So if somebody like Bill got his bell rung and, you know, Mark was dumped on his head, you know, these guys ain't spring chickens, uh, and the fact that they're able to go out and do that at all, in that kind of condition, uh, the conditions of the heat and the travel and all of that. Um, you know, it's, you know, we can criticize on what our opinion is of a match, but when we start criticizing and, and, you know, making pointed references to, to people, I think we're doing a huge disservice, uh, because one thing that everybody has to remember is we're all human beings. None of us is infallible. And, uh, I give the guys credit for even w being willing to step up on that level of a show to being in that level of a match uh, and, and putting themselves through that. Uh, you know, so, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking is easy. Uh, the, and none of us, uh, anybody that's ever been in any position in wrestling doesn't like to afterwards look back and, and see that they really crapped to bed. You know, so, you know, criticism at this point is is, is irrelevant. Uh, the biggest concern I would have at this point is that both of them are okay. And then if, if, if you want to assign blame, assign blame on what I see as a performer, whoever laid out that length of a match for these guys. Yeah, that's uh, that is crazy. Still, that that match duration is the real key to the whole thing. And, you know, I, I'm going to go back to the fan backlash i didn't like it i just i still just rubbed me the wrong way just 
It's tough to look. It's tough to accept that everybody gets old. I understand that better than anybody. But um, you know, these guys are still making that sacrifice. Yes, there were a lot of zeros at the end of that sacrifice, and <laughs> they got offered a lot of money to do it. Uh, but seeing people write like, you know, oh, like you're killing my childhood, or oh my god, you yeah. know, uh, oh, I want my memories of the Undertaker to be this, to be that. Well, guess what? You know, Undertaker's grandkids aren't going to have to worry about <laughs> anything because he went to Saudi Arabia and faced Bill Goldberg. So at the yeah. end of the day, you know, like I just wish the fans would enjoy the match. Yes, have your opinions on it, but just don't take the social media to rip the guys apart. You know, whether or not they do see it. I don't know if uh, Undertaker's really vanity searching his name these days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know what I mean? But if he does see it, you know, think about it. You know, just, that's all I got to say. Just think about it. Maybe his kids are going to see it before he say something stupid like that. But let's, uh, let's kind of put that one to bed for a little while. I was definitely waiting to hear what you had to say about that. We're dialing it back a few weeks. We wanted to talk about this uh, basically the first week we were going to get rolling on the brand. Uh, or actually, maybe it was even the week of the preview show. And it was a hot-button issue then. And if anybody listened to the Triple Threat teaser that Shane and I did while he was at StarCast, I mentioned to him, make sure you go see Tom McGee while you're in Las Vegas. And that's where I'm going to hand it over to JP because I know he is very interested in discussing with Shane this mythical, legendary uh, fan you know, history of Tom McGee versus Brett the Hitman Hart. So, Shane, I'm not sure how familiar you are with this, but there's this hidden gem out there. Tom McGee versus Brett the Hitman Hart from October of 1986. It's actually Tom McGee's WWF tryout match. So you got Pat Patterson and Vince watching these guys. And basically the story is, and it's in Bret Hart's book as well, the story is that Pat's watching it, Vince is watching it, they're watching the same match, and they have this different reaction to it. Now, this match has been lost, and, and nobody could find the tape, and WWE supposedly had the tape but lost it. Brett had the tape, but his secretary's secretary, you're following this. <laughs> you Actually, you, you probably know her, Mary Kate. She was the photographer yes. for ECW for a while. She actually had the tape. So she would record the VHS on the DVD, and Brett literally has a catalog of every match. So he had the catalog of the match and, and you know, whatever. But basically is. I was a tape trader back in the day. I know Chad was as well. Nobody could locate this match. Everyone's talking about this damn Tom McGee match. He's Mega Man. Uh, he, you know, he finished second in, in the World's Strongest Man behind Bill Kazmaier. But this guy just front flips and back flips. He literally is like a video game character, but he's 6'5", 275. So he's an awesome athlete. So this match happens October of 86. Tom McGee versus Brett. <laughs> this is, I just love this. They watch the match. Pat and Vince. Vince says, I have my next Hogan. I have my next world champion. Of course, Pat Patterson thinks he's talking about Bret Hart. And no, Vince is talking about Tom McGee, saying he loves his look, <laughs> loves his size. He had such a great match. And Pat Patterson was like, are you kidding? He's like, uh, Bret carried him. And Vince didn't see it. But obviously, you know, the story goes, McGee was under contract until 1990. So he got signed that night because of Bret, but he remained under contract until 1990. Vince still saw something in him, thought he was a great star. Obviously, you know, he went a different direction with the uh, Ultimate Warrior, but just hit him back. Oh, okay, send him the uh, the link. Might keep this one in. We might not. I don't know. But you know what? We will get the franchise back up and running here to learn more about Tom McGee and Bret Hart. Franchise, you're back and live on the air. Yeah. Yeah, this technology, you know, it's 
And part of it amazes me because I remember when I was a kid and people talking about being able to make phone calls and see videos and you know, it seemed like <laughs> something out of Star Trek or, 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 or you know, uh, Star Wars. But you know, now we're beginning to see the uh, the fallibility of some of the technology, the the on and on again, off again. But hey, it's it is what so I'm back. So have you ever seen or heard of? Obviously, you know Tom McGee. I mean, that, yeah. that's obvious. But have you ever heard of this Bret Hart match? I, I did, and I remember when that match uh, took place. Uh, as I was watching the link that you guys had sent, that that Chad had sent out uh, with this week's run sheet. Uh, I went back and watched it, and instantly I was beckoned back to that time and watching. Uh, you know, when I met Tom, he was always a great guy, uh, was almost quiet, uh, a little bit too quiet, um, but he was just a physical specimen. You know, you know, it's humbling to walk into a dressing room when you're 220, 230 at that time, you know, capping out at 253, and you're the tiny guy in the dressing room. Uh, but Tom, you know, as my recollection of him was, always had a great uh, attitude, was always a nice guy. But when you watch that match, there were several things that jumped out to me. Uh, a, you could see that Brett was doing what Brett does best, right, making somebody else look great. Uh, there's the one spot when Tom has him back in the corner and he – throws some really lame chops and then does some kind of a turnaround chop, like a bullet chopper. And then there's like a jump up in the air and a, and a kick. I, it just looked, this was somebody you can see had been taught a few moves in the, in, in, the, in the gym someplace. And now was just, just, uh, wrote throwing them out. Okay. I remember this one. I'll throw this chop. And I remember this kick and I'll do that. And, uh, you know, those, those are the things that somebody like even Brett, who's phenomenal at making other, you know, very much in the flair vein of making others look great. Uh, you can only cover up so much. And, you know, when this came up, I, you know, several months ago, Mary Kate, I saw her at uh, uh, WrestleCon and she was telling me about this lost tape and, you know, what, you know, what she was wanting to do with it and stuff and, and you know, how should she handle it? And, uh, you know, it's a great little history uh, to the history, a great little lesson in the history of our business to go back and look at some of that stuff. Because, you know, I think somebody that's younger hears all these stories of these, you know, incredible matches and angles and, you know, the, the massive numbers that wrestling used to draw. And, and I think it's easy to sometimes say, come on. You know, you guys are embellishing, right? This is a little bit bullshit. And then you go back and you watch something like that tape that is such a microcosm of the business at that time. And, you know, when you look at Brett, you know, from somebody like me that's seen the span of his career, uh, both from the fan perspective, breaking into wrestling and then being in wrestling and watching him with, with just unbelievable respect of what he could do. And seeing that he was able to get that, what he did, out of Tom McGee. Uh, you know, again, all you have to do is watch that one match. You can see why Vince McMahon would think what he thought about Tom McGee. The, you know, he, he was an incredible specimen and, you know, very gifted athlete. But you can now see also when you watch that match how that doesn't necessarily translate in to a great wrestler mix. 
Yeah, that that is so true. It's one of those things. Where it's like, wow, how does this guy have every quality you know you want <laughs> for a wrestler? Like, oh, he's huge, great yes. look, great athlete. I can't believe this guy's backflips, but this guy's also strong as an ox. Like, how come that doesn't translate? And I know obviously it, there's a lot more to wrestling, but how come he couldn't translate more into a, a great professional wrestler? My my, and I don't know Tom that well. But my guess would be he wasn't a guy that grew up from five, six years old watching wrestling uh, and having a real affinity for it. My guess would be that somewhere along the line, somebody saw this massive guy, incredible build, chiseled, uh, that could also do incredibly athletic things and said, hey, we can make a star out of that guy and pull him into wrestling as opposed to being like all of us were. And most people that have you know, been stars in wrestling and you know, been on the roster in wrestling for any length of time, there are people that were when they were five, six, seven, or eight, like I was when I started, and will watch wrestling throughout the span of their lifetime. My guess is Tom was not that guy. And why that becomes important, there were so many times in my career, and I think everybody, I think I speak for pretty much everybody that's ever been on a roster, that you get into those matches, especially those longer matches and those important matches, semi-main events, main events, title matches where you have to deliver and you're winded, you know, like the ECW ring, there were multiple times the ECW ring was in the hundred and teens and hundred and twenties because of the TV lights and the lack of air in the bingo hall. Uh, you know, you can't go out there and say, Hey, I'm winded. I'm tired. It's time to take this match home. Time out. Let me take a breather here. Can somebody give me some water? Can't do that. You've got, you got to deliver home the goods. Uh, there's also times when you've been kicked in the head, dropped on your head, give yourself concussion, as, as we saw Bill uh, supposedly did in, in Saudi Arabia. And again, you can't just say, OK, all you people that have paid to come see this and the, and the, the royal family that's paid for us to come over here, uh, I'm done now because I just gave myself a concussion. When you're in that position, like when I was, I can speak for myself in my career, when those types of things would happen, uh, and I would catch myself off drift, you know, like in the middle of a cell or in the middle of a heat, uh, necessary to make a comeback, that you would catch your breath, stop and say, okay, and what I would do is I would say, what would Harley Race do right now? What would Ric Flair do right now? What would uh, Bruno San Martino do right now? And I could very quickly get myself back on track. So I could fill those dead spaces where I was lost or knocked out or whatever, because I had some library in my head of what these other greats had done in their past, uh, watching from a fan's point or perspective. I don't think Tom had that. Uh, I may be wrong on that, but you know, when I'm watching him, I see a very robotic, hesitant, unsure of himself, uh, things that uh, a seasoned veteran or somebody who had grown up and watched our business wouldn't exhibit. Uh, and, and, and again, maybe that's somebody's fault of taking this guy and rushing him along too quickly. We've seen a lot of times in the history of our business, especially over the last 20, 30 years, when wrestling was at those massive stages where here was the next rollout. He's the next guy, right? Uh, this is the next Hulk Hogan. This is the next fill in the blank. And most of them failed miserably. Uh, that, those are pretty big boots to fill. Uh, 
you know, so I'm wondering if as again, I don't know Tom that well. I met him. Uh, I remember from the time, uh, but I don't know what his background is and his history with the business. Uh, but when I'm, when I watch that one match, it really sticks out to me that this guy is, again, it doesn't take a metal giant to see the guy's a physical specimen, but when you're watching the way he's moving and the hesitancy and, and the reservation on his part, uh, clearly was, was in a position he shouldn't have been yet. Now, I was talking to Barry Horowitz about this because obviously he was around in the therapy for a while. And I said, you know, how come he got off, you know, Vince got off of like McGee and kind of went on to Ultimate Warrior. And he was saying a lot of things like he thought Warrior had charisma and there was, had, you know, a special if factor. He never really saw that from Tom McGee. Do you put a lot of faith into that as well? I mean, not only the fact that he didn't really maybe love the business as much, but that total just you know, it factor, the total charisma that Warrior had and McGee definitely didn't have. Yeah, no, no question about it. I mean, you know, when you look at, at Jim uh, Hellwood, you know, he, he certainly did have that. Uh, but, you know, when you, when you take it, I want to take a step further back. When you, when you try to extrapolate and say, okay, we got a big guy with muscles, seemingly has charisma, some athleticism, ergo, we can make him the next Hulk Hogan. Uh, or we have a guy with bleach blonde hair and, you know, seems pretty athletic and can talk his ass off. Ergo, we have the next Ric Flair. Um, you know, it, it, if it were just that easy, that's cookie cutter. Um, even when you look at Helwig, Helwig did have that explosiveness and he certainly had the look. My God, he was an, you know, there are a few human beings in history that have looked like that. Uh, but, why did he not draw on the level of a Hogan? Why was there no uh, uh, Ultimate Warrior uh, maniacs running around? You know, uh, you know the kind of momentum and phenomenon we saw with Hulkamania. You know, sometimes it's lightning in a bottle. You know, there there are some things that you can't just extrapolate down to a certain set of ingredients and say, okay, if we put these in a bottle and let somebody drink them, we're going to get the next whatever. Um, you know. Uh, Ultimate Warrior made an impact, but he made an impact at the time when the industry was at a huge apex. Uh, would he, when Hulk came in in 84, you know, the business had been very big for decades at that point, but suddenly you had this, this, uh, all roads leading to the same point. We had the rock and roll connection. Uh, we had, you know, the, the uh, you know, the larger than life characters. We had the move over from from professional wrestling to sports entertainment. We had mainstream stars like Cindy Lauper uh, suddenly being involved, uh, who had the you know one of the top hits that year, uh, playing all over MTV and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there were so many ingredients that went into that. Uh, Hogan. If he if you would have dropped him into the business in 1965 or 75, I doubt would have had the impact he had in 1984. Uh, so it's it's the same thing to say for Helwig. It's unfair to say, okay, well, we take him and put him in the same position. He should be as big or bigger than Hulkamania was in '84 because there's so many variables that go into something. But you know, yeah, Jim had a certain modicum uh, of charisma, but. It, you know, he he was very limited in the ring. 
which meant you had to keep him very short, you know, the run in, the shake, the ropes, the press, this and that, boom, done, in and out. Um, which, again, pointing back to Saudi Arabia, which is what should have been done there. Um, but, you know, Tom, you can see when you watch that video with Brett, Brett's doing everything he can to make Tom look good. Uh, but Tom clearly did not have that ability to exude that charisma and, and you know, become something bigger than what he was just in the ring. He, he looked so confined and locked into, I got to do this move and then I got to do something to fill this time up, uh, as opposed to becoming a character that was larger than life. Jim did that very well as the ultimate warrior. We, you know, we don't have to speak about Terry, right? I mean, Hogan did that in spades. Uh, <laughs> Who? You know, and, and, yeah, and, and that was, you know, I, I think no detriment. I mean, some people do have it and some people don't. Uh, you know, why do you have a, a, a wrestling school you can start 50 guys off in and none become stars? You start another school with five guys and they all become stars. Uh, again, there's so many variables that go into it. You know, the same thing I was talking about with wrestling. You know, I, Taz and I could go to, say, Pittsburgh tonight and have a match and tear the house down. Take that same exact match tomorrow to Cleveland, and for some reason it doesn't connect to the audience. Um, to this day, I've never been able to quantify it or qualify it. Uh, it just is what it is. And, you know, you, if you're not seasoned enough to audible at that point and realize that that's not working in Cleveland and to switch to something else, uh, I, I think that would that's tantamount to being quantum physics for somebody who has been rushed into a position like I think Tom McGee was being rushed into at that time uh, and clearly didn't have or possess the same type of charismatic skills that an Ultimate Warrior or a Hulk Hogan in that vein would have carried later or earlier. Hey, Tom McGee's back. That's all that matters now. He might have been gone for years. He might not have been the next Hulk Hogan. But he's back. He uh, he hit Starcast, did his thing there, and you never know. You might be running into Tom McGee down the road at some of these conventions. So could uh, it could be very well in the cars. Now I'm going to tell you something about the Ultimate Warrior that you might not know. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> mm, okay, let's. Uh, I'm ready. Yeah, what, is what is it? What is it? Have you ever met the Ultimate Warrior's wife? I did. Uh... The current, the, the last wife before he passed. No. Okay. No. Okay. So, you, so you never met Dana Warrior. No. If I was going to tell you, and I'm gonna, I'm staying. I can move the camera back and forth between the three of us. I'm gonna keep it on you as I tell you this. Okay. Did you know that Dana Warrior is a member of the WWE creative team? Really? Now or, or was before? Right now. Okay, so what's her credentials for that? <laughs> well, that's exactly why I wanted to see your face. As I said, yeah, so Dana Warrior is a member of the WWE creative team. Now, we don't know exactly what her role may be. She could be a script supervisor. She could be a continuity specialist, for all we know. But uh, Dana Warrior, who is married to the Ultimate Warrior since about, let's say, you know, maybe about the mid-90s, uh, in a time where I don't think the Ultimate Warrior was very keen on the wrestling business, is now a member of the <laughs> WWE creative team. Makes sense to me. <laughs> I, but if Vince is hiring, I got an ex-wife that could probably you know, <laughs> give pretty good insights to, to stuff. Uh, look, I, I mean, I, you know, 
good for her. And, and, you know, it's a nice gesture from Vince to give, you know, I mean, Jim had kids, right? That, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Two know, girls. So, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, there, there's, you know, there's a philanthropic side to that, I guess. But, uh, this to me, like from somebody that's been in the business as long as I've been, this to me is so condescending for our business. Uh, because you have, well, start with the beginning, you know, the, the, the baseline here. Our business is heading in a very negative trajectory. Let's hope the AEW, and it seems like the AEW, may be part of the antidote to that. But when you're taking just whoever and giving a job in creative, again, she may be the you know, person that's going and grabbing the water or the coffee. Uh, but, and if that's the case, good for Vince that he's given, uh, Jim Helwig's widow, uh, mother of his children, the opportunity to make a living. But if she's doing anything that is actually contributing to the creative team, uh, I, I, well, you know, I'm wrong because could she be any less qualified than a 24 year old writer from Hollywood? That's yeah. never been in the ring, never had a pair of boots on. Uh, so talk that one up to the franchise on our first visual show uh, here on the Realm Network on the brand. Uh, the franchise is wrong. She is every, Miss Helwig is every bit as, or Miss Warrior, is, <laughs> is every Warrior. bit as, uh, <laughs> as qualified, I guess, as anybody else that's on that WWE team right now. Absolutely, yeah, and I could see her and uh, and Vince cutting a rug, you know, before each uh, show, going over what the uh, you know whatever the last angle was at the end of the week, and seeing how we can tweak it, you know, and make it uh, history making. And I guess that's how you get to a one point five rating for the main event of this last week's uh, Raw: uh, Seth Rollins versus Kevin Owens with Sami Zayn as the special guest referee. So. What? What I, I, I'm just sitting there. I'm, I'm curious if if Vince, when he tears up those scripts 15 minutes before they make air, does he do that to Miss Warrior or does he do it to some of the other 24-year-old lackeys that are from Hollywood that, that he can do it? Does he show a level of disrespect? I, I, I don't know. It's, you know... It, to be honest with you, I'm shocked that they're still drawing a 1.5 rating as <laughs> crappy as that is because, you know, and again, like I've said in multiple, multiple episodes previously, I am not pointing one finger of blame at any of the kids. And, and I'm not being condescending when I say kids, I'm one of the old guys. Uh, these guys are all kids to me, but you know, this, this is where you start to look to the management, to the people running the company, to the, to the upper echelon. And when, like, for instance, uh, Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen, um, the kid's been a stud in the ring. I, I worked him about 10 years ago. Uh, why they have not, as again, Steve Austin used to say, strapped that rocket to his ass um, is beyond me. You know, if, if they don't see that he's worthy, if they don't think at this point that he's worthy of that, then let him go and make space on the roster for somebody else. I think he is capable of that. Um, but you can't do this, ha- This you know, the, the same thing, they don't, like say Dolph Ziggler. 
we're going to push you for a month, pal. And then they're going to be off for three. And then we're going to bring you back and push you for two or three weeks. And you're going to be off again for a month or two. You can't build somebody that way. And when we see that kind of thing going on there, and we, and then we look at the ratings and we've seen this go back and listen a year ago and then go back and listen to anything that I've written online or talked about it in my magazine articles or whatever else. Every subsequent year, the ratings have been lower. They will be lower next year than they are right now, barring some change in what they're doing. Uh, the, the, the being on the front end of what we know is going to be a competition between AEW and WWE, the, my younger self would tell me that Vince McMahon is going to become much more competitive than he is right now. Uh, but maybe that's, you know, we've, as we've talked about before on, on earlier episodes, does Vince still have that eye of the tiger, that fire in the belly to become that formidable foe? Uh, that he was always back in the day. It's going to be very curious to see, but all these things all lead to this. All these roads lead to the same place. When you have people that are on your creative team that don't know shit about our business, that might have something to do with the quality of the product. When you're putting your older icons in the ring in that kind of heat after that kind of travel, that might have had something to do with the level of quality of the match that you got from them. When you keep on tearing the script up because you think you have some greater consciousness that has some keener insight. If, if, if you're so great at it and want to tear it up, why don't you write it? All these things lead to exactly what I was talking about 20 plus years ago when I was there. When you surround yourself with a bunch of yes men and fire anybody that tells you anything otherwise, then you're dooming yourself. You've painted yourself into a corner that when your product does become crap, like it is now and has been in the WWE, how do you find your way out of that? Which one of those young writers is going to step up and say, hey, Vince, you're wrong. (laughs) Ain't one of them going to do that. Uh, Because if they did, they're going to be fired. Uh, So you know, ultimately somebody's going to take a look in the mirror and take ownership of why this company that was so dominant for so long, why it now sits where it's sitting as opposed to, and now having to worry about that other upstart company, as opposed to being WWE that we all remember and many of us competed against. Yeah. And I'm telling you, Dewey Foley, you know, being one of those young kids that's working in the writing area, he's probably had so much shit thrown at him that he feels like he was thrown off the hell in the cell like his dad on uh, probably every Monday and Tuesday night. And, you know, it's just it's crazy to see how far uh, the mighty have fallen. But, hey, we'll just stay tuned. You never know around the corner if this AEW thing takes off. Maybe we got another war. So as we wrap it up here, look, we were going to get out of here quick because we don't want Shane to fall off again. I don't want to do that much editing after this, so I want to get us out as fast as uh, we can. But before I do, what we're going to start doing on this show now is we're going to tell you what's going on on our other podcast, The Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling. And uh, we had a big week this week, John, so I'm going to hand it over to you. Tell the uh, the fine folks of the brand, A, where they can get The Two-Man Power Trip and what they can expect this week. Hey, you can get The Two-Man Power Trip everywhere where your podcasts are available iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you want to go, 
you get your uh, podcast. That's where you can get it. This week, episode 400, we had Arn Anderson on for the second time, which was unbelievable. And then following up, we had our feature episode number 10 with Tommy Dreamer. Shane's old buddy made another return to the show, uh, had some great, great talks with him. And, of course, coming up next week, which will be episode 401, technically, the Dusty Rhodes tribute episode. And I'm going to break it right here, right now, featuring none other than his son, the natural Dustin Rhodes, joins us for one of the most emotional and best interviews we've ever had on the show. So definitely, definitely. Stay tuned for that. What a huge week. Arn, then Dreamer, who Shane Douglas hates personally, but we'll get into that another time. And then, obviously, next week, <laughs> Dustin Rhodes, the natural Dustin Rhodes. Sounds like a lineup. Not bad. Yeah. Not, ba- not bad yeah. at all. Yeah. And a franchise thrown and... in there, too. Hey, you know, not to chew up any more time or anything, but uh, how was Ronnie Garvin this past weekend? Oh, thank you for mentioning that. I was going to say it as we were signing off. So I said hello. He was awesome. Uh, just going to say that. He Great was uh, absolutely unbelievable. Ronnie Garvin is 74 years old. Incredible. Right? You, wouldn't, you wouldn't know it by looking at him or talking to him. This yeah. guy could probably he, – he basically would pull over and start doing push-ups and, and sit-ups <laughs> because he, he is in that good a condition. He's in that good a shape. But uh, I told him that you said hello. I told him that uh, you were backstage in Detroit, it, it, the big match against Ric Flair. And you know what he said to me? <laughs> Deadpan, I swear. It's like, and this is how you know this guy had a great career. He said, we did some good business that night. And I was like, ah, we lost Shane. Get him back one more time, John, before we wrap it up. See, this is why I was trying to get out quick. It's okay. Technical difficulties. We're going to battle through these and get them straightened out as we move into episode 97. Shane, so I said, deadpan, Ronnie Garvin looked at me and said, we did some good business that night. Yeah, that's, that's Ronnie. I mean, he's, uh, he's such a great guy. I've got such great memories of, of him on the road and, and, you know, so many stories. But, you know, he, you're right. He, the last time I saw him, he just amazed me. That he hasn't aged today and still in phenomenal shape. Uh, but he was always one of those guys that, like, you always look forward to seeing in the dressing room. You know, just, you know, never had the airs of attitude around him or whatever. Just, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, and, and went to the ring and did his business. But, man, what a mess that was that night. Whew. Incredible. Oh, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, great. We had a lot of great conversations, a lot of great talks. And, uh, you know, hey, maybe one day we'd love to get Ronnie Garvin on the uh, the Triple Threat podcast. Yeah. It would be a lot of fun. If we could record maybe earlier in the day. I don't think Ronnie's staying up this late to uh, – <laughs> unless he's hiding out in a tree someplace. He could be hunting behind the house for all we know because, man, does he love to hunt. And that's what I heard about for a majority of the day. But John and I, were just we had a ball with Ronnie Garvin. It was a great day in Philly. You were sorely missed. I will say that. It was a little uh, was a little sad not having the franchise at the ECW Arena with us. But, hey, we shall overcome. We live to fight another day. So, speaking of living to fight another day, we don't want to lose Shane, so we're going to end this the right way. If you want to reach out and touch us, please reach out to us on Twitter. We are very interactive. You can hit us up at the franchise SD, at Two Man Power Trip, at Wrestling Pal, and at the Three Threat Pod. Send feedbacks and comments and questions and whatever you want. Send some money, too, if you want. We take that over everything else. But, uh, no, we're really happy to finally gotten this video stuff straightened out. 
And uh, even though Shane might have looked like Max Headroom a few times during this recording, (laughs) (laughs) we got it done. We're going to get out of here before we cause any more trouble. Uh, And absolutely, please support the show however you can. Download it, tell a friend, subscribe to Russo's brand, which you already are, obviously, if you're listening to this. Listen to the two-man power trip, and please stop by the franchise Shane Douglas Pro Wrestling Tea Store. It's prowrestlingtees.com slash the franchise SD. There you'll get the classic franchise logo T-shirts as well as the Triple Threat T-shirts and the Triple Threat Podcast T-shirt. So please support the franchise, support the show. We'd love to uh, see you wearing that black and gold wherever you go this summer and uh, showing us every step of the way. So, Shane, before we get out of here, I don't know what you got going on this weekend. If you got it in front of you, that's great. If you don't, I know since we're on video, you don't have to scramble for it. But what's going on in the world of the franchise? Hey, the franchise is taking another weekend. Me and the boys are going to go out and do some uh, some camping and some hunting and some fishing. It's going to be the guys' weekend out. So uh, last week, number one son, oldest son, graduated from high school. My brain is still swimming in my head over that my youngest son started his first job ever this past monday so been a pretty auspicious week for the uh for the franchise clan so uh looking forward to spending some time with them this weekend oh that's awesome yeah like i said we missed you but we obviously understood it was a big moment for you guys and we're thrilled that you had a nice weekend so we will uh we'll see you down at the gathering in august uh, in charlotte north carolina booked my hotel room uh, we'll be working with the enforcer, Arn Anderson, that day. Looking forward to it. Nice. So, uh, yeah, we got some plans coming down the road. We'll see what happens next. But, hey, this was a great one. Appreciate everybody uh, sticking with us as we got this figured out. We'll get it even better next week. Hopefully we won't have as many interruptions. But that is the learning process. So, with all that being said, Shane, I'm going to hand it over to you. Take us out of here the right way. Get us out of 96. Get us over to 97. And we will see you on the flip side. Hey, episode 96 out of the way, zooming into episode big 100, not quite the 400 of TMPT, but we're zooming in on 100. Make sure you tune in next week or get your ass franchised. (laughs) This podcast was a presentation of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcast empire.